Welcome to episode 8 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. All right, Hillary, how's your week been? Um, it's been good, I think. You know, there's been some weird things happening, but um, that's life, right? I had yes. to have a conversation at Dairy Queen last night with my husband about, you know, we don't have plans after we die. Like, if something happens, do you have a will? I don't. I don't either. And so I was thinking about that I don't want to be buried. I mean, we live in Florida. Being buried here seems like a nightmare at this point. You we're know, we're going to be underwater in, in general in 40 years or something. <laughs> like, why are we going to do that? And so I want to be cremated, I think. And I, I, I'm like, I have to make this clear to you so you understand. And yeah. my daughter's like, like yeah. she started getting really upset. And he's like, this is an inappropriate yes. time to have this conversation. So I don't there know. There is this amazing book uh, by this incredible science writer. Her name is Mary Roach. And the book is called A Stiff, The Life of Human Cadavers, The Secret Life of Human Cadavers. Yeah. And she goes through scientifically, but she writes it in such layman terms and she's really funny, uh, just about like the different things that can happen to corpses right. and like how they're used and research. But there's an end chapter uh, that talks about afterlife and what people choose to do. And one of them, I told my husband, I'm like, I love this idea. Oh, what is it? And it's the pot idea, and it's probably like super expensive. But the idea is, is that you're sort of put in a, like a, a, a seed casing, you know, like a, a, a dirt kind of thing mound, and you are placed under a tree or something, and you oh, wow. naturally decompose, and you give back to this this tree in some way, and your family can visit uh, this tree and it just reminds me of, like Walt Whitman like if you want to see me again you'll find me under your boot soles you know like yeah, I'm part yeah. of the earth I'm part of everything yeah and that idea I like where it's not the chemicals where it's not like fire yes. where it's yeah yeah you know but who knows like I feel like everything's an industry including death you know <laughs> yes and it's, it's, it's everything expensive, expensive. And it's, yeah. oh my god what a nightmare <laughs> you know so okay are you right. ready yes all right so um I'm first today yes and um I'm going to be covering a story that takes place in California in the San Francisco area. Oh, nice. And so a lot of my sources were from some local newspapers like the uh, SF Weekly, um, uh, actually Ballotpedia, The Guardian, um, some ABC News, San Francisco Examiner, and others that, of course, you can find on our website. So um, here we go. Um, today, I'm going to tell you the story of California's state senator, Leland Yee. Okay. Ooh. So throughout <laughs> his career, Leland Yee was known for his gun control advocacy. He served on a ton of committees. He earned um, many, many awards throughout his career for leadership, for advocating for journalists' rights, uh, building uh, equality, preventing gun violence, among other things. But when the FBI raids uh, Yee's office in 2014, he found himself in the mucky waters of hypocrisy. Uh oh, and is not good. <laughs> this story, I I was just the hypocrisy level in this story just was so incredibly shocking to me. So, um, and I it just was uh, I really enjoyed the research and um, some of the characters that show up are interesting. So our story takes place in beautiful, sunny San Francisco, California. I've never been there. I'm I, dying to I've go to San Francisco. I've never been there either. Ugh. And when I think about it, I think, of course, of like the Grateful Dead. Ah, I think yeah, of... Yeah, you're a big deadhead, right? Yeah. I think of um, 
those wonderful like Victorian style homes yes. all in a row, like the start of full house, full house right? Yes. Like that beautiful image. Um, and the, the diverse culture of San Francisco, you know, and that it's a really liberal city. Yes. And, you know, it just always seems like kind of the hip place to be from the 60s onward. So right. in uh, 2014, though, Leland Yee was suspended from his senatorship for that um, representing that area for criminal charges that were brought against him. And like usual... I like to kind of dig a little bit into uh, the person's life prior to the incident. So I want to give you some of that background. So Leland was this guy that had a lifelong political career from, uh, he started off as a school board member. Hmm. So in his, that was his first political stint. So in uh, 1998, he ran and won uh, a seat on the San Francisco Unified School District Board, and he served two terms. Um, and that's 1988. But in 1991, he had to take his kids out of school because he lied about their address to get them into a better school. And he's sitting as a member of uh, wow. on the school board. Wow. And everybody wants their kids in the best school, yes. right? And but you know we're zoned, and yes, and you 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 know can't just cherry pick where you want. And he lied about it. So right there from the beginning, you see, okay. Um, there's a little bit of of uh, bad character. Right. It's not a big deal. It's not a huge crime, but it's not. It, and it, I, it I have mixed feelings about this kind of thing. You know, if you're not, yeah. if you're like in, here in Broward, you can apply to have your kids put into a school that's not your school, that's not, you're not in your district. And uh, but there's other places where ki- people right. want their kids to have the best. And and I don't. Right. I mean, I I know it's they're not supposed to, but I do feel like. You know, it's, they're trying to do their best. But if you're sitting on the school you're board, sitting on the school board, <laughs> maybe you can fix the schools. Maybe you can have something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it was incredible. And then the other thing in 1992 that I thought was really odd was um, he still a member of the school board, and he takes a vacation to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And while he's there, he gets busted for shoplifting a bottle of tanning oil. What the fuck? And like, it's just a random thing. But because he was on vacation, he went back home. So he, they never really pursued oh the gosh. charges because he wasn't a resident of that it's like state. like Winona. It, yeah, it's just this, yeah, like just a random, someone who doesn't need to steal, yet he did. So, um, and then it was tanning lotion. I yeah. don't know. It was just funny. <laughs> yeah. So in 1996, um, he then ran and won a seat as a district supervisor for District 4. And a district supervisor serves as the head of the County Board of Supervisors, which in San Francisco works like a city council. Okay. That's like their city council. And he won again in 2000. But in 1999, he gets stopped twice for trying to solicit sex workers. Okay. But again, nothing (sighs) comes of it, right? This is insane. No arrests. Come on. Right. They so his claim was it's mistaken identity. Oh. Look, I'm traveling <laughs> through this neighborhood. Yeah. It's my way. You know, I kind of pass on through. Yes. Twice though. Yeah, I know. It <laughs> uh, could be. Yeah. I don't think so, ye. But yeah, all right. I just was like, okay, guy. So then, from 2002 to 2005, he serves as an assemblyman for District 12. This is insane. And then, and yeah, and you know, no, uh, he continues to win. And then well, because it's politics and American politics shit rolls upwards. You know what I mean? It's like crazy. it doesn't people American voters it's it's bizarre to me that 
all of these things can be ignored. I mean, this guy, and especially like we talk about people in, in um, nonpartisan seats getting elected. Yes. We're like, be careful. They may not say they're Republican or Democrat, but they're going to use that seat to elevate themselves higher and higher and higher. And that's what he right. did. School board. Yeah, to this, to, yeah you start. I mean, he's now going up that chain to Correct. a really powerful position. Right. And right. then 2006 onward, he's senator. Right. Um, and the thing is, this is the thing. When you, I, I, I decided, and let me look up his um, voting record, and let me look at what bills he put forward, okay, um, and and what this guy was about, and he did some really awesome things, okay. He was a really, I mean, and just a little bit of what he did. So you know, um, he did uh, a lot of protections for the environment. He uh, did protections to make sure that members of the LGBTQ community were safe. He had protections for women of domestic violence. Wow, great. When they're presenting in court um, so that they don't um, end up sort of having to serve jail time because like, they're now like revealing things about this tumultuous right. relationship or whatnot right. that sometimes happens. Protecting children from um, prostitution and human trafficking and so much more. I mean, if this guy wasn't the fraudster that he was, right. he, he would have had a great uh, legacy. A couple of bills that are connected that I wanted to highlight that sort of tie into that show the hypocrisy of him were um, a couple things. One bill that did pass was a bill protecting children from harmful ultra-violent video games. So he's huh. one of those guys. Okay. Um, and it just made me think of a bit of the old ultra-violence from uh, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah. Like that opening <laughs> paragraph. Yeah. Um, that bill passed. He uh, wrote... Um, a bill for the safe storage of firearms that didn't pass. He um, had um, some other gun control bills, one regarding the banning of assault weapons that didn't pass. And he also had a bill banning 3D printing of guns and mm. bullets, mm. which didn't pass. But because he did a lot of this advocacy, like he was seen in the community as like a leader in right. gun control. Okay. Um, and it makes me think like this guy's story, because he, when you look at, um, the amount of bills I think he put forward, it was like 170 or 80 bills like in his time, like 138 of them passed. So he did a lot of good work and right. the bills that he passed, I mean, you know, you can look it up. I have the list um, in the notes and you see all the wonderful things that he does. But it makes me think of that line from Julius Caesar, uh, the evil that men do lives after them. Mm. The good is often turred with their bones. Mm. Like no one's going to remember the good things once right. you do that bad thing. Right. And like, here we are with this guy. So how does Yi get busted? So there's an FBI raid that occurs, and he ends up being arrested on seven counts of corruption and gun trafficking. Get the fuck out. Yes. Tina, so like the big stop. gun control advocacy get guy out of here. was involved in like this scheme um, for with assault. Uh, weapons. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, it's insane. So the then uh, Senate president... Uh, Daryl Steinberg calls for his resignation, which of course we're not surprise, surprise. Yeah. No, no. Why would we? Not, do that? Yeah, he's not going to no. re resign. This guy's gotten away with a lot already. Right. Why would he? Do, why would he right. do that? So he um, gets suspended. Okay. Uh, instead, and Steinberg, um, that Senate president, says that Yee's charges are sickening and surreal. So the charges. And these were made with undercover FBI agents. Oh, my God. So these come FBI on. agents go undercover, and it's this, like, long-term thing because they start realizing that not only is he doing this, but he's got ties to um, a uh, Chinese mafia gang leader. Oh, my God. 
it's um, an, an Islamic militant group in the Philippines. Oh, like, oh it, I was like, God. what is happening? Wow. Yes. So um, the one of the first charges is the bribery. So allegedly he accepted thousands of dollars and everything for this guy really from prior to his Senate run, even he ran for a mayoral seat. He ran for those other seats. It's all about getting money for the campaign. Okay. And it all becomes right. this pay to play, this yes. quid pro quo. Yes. And this is what happens. So in the charges that were in the, the uh, affidavit, um, it was $11,000 for setting up a meeting with a Senator. So um, this FBI agent posed as like a, uh, guy that runs like a marijuana medical marijuana business and he's like you know i want to bring this to california mm -hmm. but i want to make sure that a doctor has to be established so that little small businesses can't just open up these medicinal right. shops and like we can get all the business so can i meet with some senators he's like sure so he gets paid 11k to set up this meeting and then that helps go towards wow. his campaign funding um he gets ten thousand dollars to recommend someone for a particular grant that they are applying for. He gets um, $6.8,000 from the uh, member of this Chinese mafia king, and they do like a um, certificate of honor presented to him. Oh and my the guy gosh. pays for it, and there's like a picture of them. Wow. It's wild. I, I imagine like he has a menu. You know, you would get your nails done. It's like, right. This is how much all these things cost. Like he's got a menu of like, oh, if you want a certificate at this place, yeah. you want to, you yeah. want me to introduce you to some people. It costs this much. Like, how does he even range the how well, much he's going to charge he people? Also has this guy that's like his campaign guy that sort of he uses as the front as a buffer. So a lot of things go through this guy, but they have a lot of ye on tape at different at coffee houses, at a karaoke bar, all these different like you know talking away oh and gosh. making deals. So again, it's all about raising money and. At the time of his arrest, so he is, you know, the senator, but he was running um, to be for California, the secretary of state of California <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> and while he was senator, he had also run this mayoral campaign. And so he has the debt from this mayoral campaign that he mm -hmm. has to get rid of because he's trying to now do this run for secretary of state. Okay. So he needs like a bunch of cash. And this is where we are. So the weapons piece he makes a deal with this undercover FBI agent to buy automatic weapons from the Philippines. So he gets mixed up with the Chinese mafia and um, the particular group was Gi Kung Tong. And the leader, it's a, one of my favorite names, I love it, is Raymond Shrimp Boy. Yay! Chow. Yeah. <laughs> we got, what, we, yeah. what was the other guy's name? Crab the Crab, oh, Charlie yeah, the Crab. Charlie the we Crab, and now we got Shrimp Boy. <laughs> so he was asked to get a half a million to $2.5 million worth of weapons. Mm. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. And on the criminal charges, he allegedly speaks about have, having the ability to get ro rocket launchers as well. <gasps> like, I mean, this is serious weaponry that he's talking about getting. Meanwhile, he's like, no violent video games. Right. Let's get stricter rules. Yes. And 
well it's, it's that it's that thing where, where oh my god it's, it's the same thing like when a lot of when politicians not a lot but when, when some politicians are in the closet and they go so hard against lgbtq right. issues or then giving meanwhile, funding yeah meanwhile they're tiptoeing in the bathrooms at airports with their foot right. under the stall yes, right like yes. it's like you know they're, they're the ones who are the most against those those right. bills those protections and all of a sudden they're caught in some scandals this is the same this thing is, and it's it's incredible and in fact two years prior to him getting busted he told CBS, quote, it's extremely important that individuals in the state of California do not own assault weapons. I mean, that is just so crystal clear. There is no debate, no discussion. Wow. I mean, how does he how does he even live with himself? It's, it's so weird. It's so crazy. Or like, you know, you when you're doing things in your life, you justify it like, should I have an extra donut this morning? I don't know. I right. just had another I just had two. I had one like you know, you start to go, well, maybe see. Yes. Like the, you that's like everything. You justify everything you do in your life. Like how could I, how does he live and justify doing all of these things? It makes it's, no sense. Except bonkers. I mean, I mean, we could talk about campaign finance reform, but well, I, I do, I do make a little note <laughs> okay, of yeah. that. Let's talk about of that. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that would, that would maybe not, yeah. you know, uh, I don't want to say force a politician's hand. He made a choice, yes, you know? Yes, that's true. So, um, no one had an assault weapon right. to his head that's making right. him do this. You know what I mean? Like he's yes. doing this. Yeah. So meanwhile, according to the FBI wiretaps, he's fully aware that this deal he's brokering to purchase the weapons it's not only putting weapons on the street of the United States. He knows that they're going to go to North Africa. He knows they're going to oh go to Italy. Gosh. And he also knows that the money from this deal is going to go into the hands of the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. Wow. So it's like, yeah. what? And the acronym, I'm sorry, it's MILF. Where I'm like, <laughs> I wonder how they feel about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, as a MILF myself, I'm very <laughs> upset about this. Uh, this, this so, uh... <laughs> I mean... But but he knows and like to me like that's you're putting not you're putting lives nations at risk like what that is so insane to me greed power I mean let's talk about it you know and then he does all these protections and he's putting all these wonderful bills for it just it doesn't Mm -mm. it doesn't add up right Um, and then another thing that he did was he promised a fake mafioso so there was this FBI agent who acted like this fake (laughs) mafioso from Jersey and he's like oh you know I'll give you um, if I get elected as Secretary of State of California I'll provide you a role as a Russian trade delegate so he's even handing over positions wow to to nefarious people I feel like I use nefarious all the time it's one of my favorite words but it's a good word you know yeah so what's the aftermath so eventually, he he ultimately pleads guilty to the Good. charges, okay. and he was up he was up for many many years. I think it was over twenty years, and the the fines were, you know, uh, really high. And they wanted. I, I feel like every article is always like, you know, they wanna the judge wants to make a lesson out of this guy, and then it never, no, it never really becomes the lesson that it should be. He gets five years in jail, which again hardly seems sufficient. Uh, the U.S. Uh, District Judge Charles Breyer said, and that was the judge overseeing this case, said, it is the vote that is a key part of the legislative process. Votes are not for sale. Positions are not for sale. And your conduct indicating that it was for sale was a violation of the public's trust. Wow. You know? So um, he had to pay $20,000 in fines, and he was ordered to pay $33,000 in restitution. And... um. The other aftermath that I thought was a good thing that sort of happened was in 2016, 
Then San Francisco DA George Gascon and the FBI created a task force to try and address political corruption and the pay-to-play problems in San Francisco. Okay. Because that same year that um, uh, Yee was brought up on these charges, there were two other legislators who were brought up separate from him and nothing to do with him that, that, you know, um, so they were like, we got to figure out what's going on. We need this task force to make sure... And, and it's a shame that we need to have a task force to make sure that the people we elect are on the up and up. But this is where we are. So, of course, I like to do my little points of interest at the end. Um, the first one is I want to go back to the, the shoplifting charges because <laughs> to me, you know, he still ran and got elected. Yeah for these other political positions, despite the charges, despite newspapers coming out saying, like, this is this guy. And I feel like shoplifting says something. If you're a kid and you shoplift, okay, kids make bad choices and mistakes, fine. Like, that's a wash. If you're, you know, a young teenager, okay. Um, Those mistakes. If he was stealing diapers or food because his family was desperate for Mm -hmm. it, okay, I can forgive that. Like, there's a a need, right, right. being served. But a bottle of tanning lotion, (laughs) you know, a grown adult who's 44 years old and a professional – he was a child psychologist before all this. Wow. So, you know, he's a professional. He's a psychologist. And he's a member of the school board. And he's a grown-up. And he's stealing a bottle of tanning lotion. And his excuse was, um, well, my, I didn't know which one to get. So I, And he like put it down his pants or something. And they caught him. And he's like, my <laughs> wife is out in the car. I just was going to go outside and show her, is this the one you want? And then come back in and purchase it. That was his excuse. And they, but they arrested him because it was what kind of – that's the craziest excuse. But that's what he did. But the other thing to me is it tells us more about the people who vote. Oh, yeah. Than it does about this guy. Tina. That they're still going to vote for him. Tina, in all of the work that we do and all of the voters we've registered and all of the times with the elections that we have sat through together and watched time and time again, what happens? It doesn't even have to be on the federal level. Just look at local elections. Get a little involved and like pay attention to that. It is shocking what the American voter, average American voter will do. It, it, first of all, if they come wild. out at all, thank God. Right. But if they, you know, when they do, it's, I don't think they pay attention. It's I such don't a think small they pay attention. They pay don't, attention. no one reads articles. No. No one does their research. They don't. I feel like it's your due diligence as a, as a voter. No, a voter needs to do their due diligence yeah. and know who they are voting for. Right, like I, it I takes agree. Ten minutes. So here's the thing: so we have like, so much on the internet. Just go online. But those two and things, research. yeah. But those two things, like the the thing about putting his kids in a different school, and then the the suntan lotion. It depends on who he's running against for that next position. If he's right. running against somebody who's like a joke candidate or a nightmare, they're going right. to pick that. Those two You're gonna things have the lesser gonna, of two yeah, evils. Yeah, right. And so those things don't really matter, right? Because we don't. Now, is it a sign of what's going to happen down the road? Possibly. But right. Like, that's who the, if it's, if that's really the situation, he doesn't look that bad on paper. Yeah. You know what I mean? The other thing um, I found another point of interest was I read this article about how the media in the area protected Yi. So, for example, there was a newspaper, uh, The Chronicle, that didn't dig into or report much on Yi's misdeeds. And it's allegedly because he supported the pro uh, landlord agenda of that mm. particular newspaper. And then the fact that everything is political, you know, that's the thing. Like the newspaper's job is to report the news. Right. But then they know, oh, well, this guy's on our side. So <laughs> we're not going to highlight the things that they should still be highlighting and should still be objective about. Right. 
Um, and that's, it's just disappointing to me, you know, and then it results in guys like this continually getting away with this bullshit. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, another point is there was, uh, sort of like that, uh, um, when I did the superintendent to Sone, yes, um, there was the guy that ran with the same name. Yes. Um, so there was a similar <laughs> thing that happened here. And there was a Norman Yee who ran for a district supervisor position, but he ran in 2012 before all of this stuff happened. And a lot of people believe the name recognition of oh, Yee no. put him in a seat. And I, so far, I mean, the guy's fine, but I just wonder <laughs> like if this poor guy ran in 2014 onward, like he probably wouldn't win anything. You yeah, know, yeah. Now he's, he would be tainted. Um, Another point that I thought was interesting is that not only is he, you know, a hypocrite in terms of the, the gun control and the advocacy towards having gun control, and then he's, you know, they're like selling arms, um, is he turns in his friend to the FBI. Oh. So in 2007, um, he has a friend assistant, this guy named Ed Jew, and um, he, he turns him into the FBI for extortion and mail fraud. Meanwhile, he's a crook. Yeah. And it's like, it's crazy. And Ed didn't know that it was uh, Yee that did it. So he's like, hey, Yee, do you, do you have an attorney? I'm in some trouble. Oh, my and gosh. And he gets an attorney recommendation. Like, it's so shady. What happened? Um, so the guy that was in his office, did he get in trouble too? The guy who would set up those meetings? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. all got in trouble. It okay. was like a bunch of people right. were brought up on these charges. The shrimp boy, yep. everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, everyone got in trouble. Um, and, but according to, uh, Ed Jew's lawyer, after the allegations on Yi came out, he said that Jew learned how to raise money from Yi, but it wasn't how it was normally done. Oh, right. Right. So then that tells us, so he must've been aware a little bit of what Yi was up to, but didn't realize Yi was the one that turned him in. So then he started, um, talking a little bit more. Okay, um, about and telling ye, you more stories. But, yeah. but at first it didn't go anywhere, but then once all this other stuff came out. Um, another thing I found interesting, and it just goes back to sort of that record, is that according to Ballotpedia, um, the 2009 Capital Weekly Legislative Scoreboard, uh, Yi ranked a 94 out mm -hmm. of 100 wow. as leaning liberal, and that his policies that like he pushed this you know particular agenda he did all of these things but it's all a facade right and privately he, he's a zero right you know um and then a couple more things i know I'm, i always have these little points but um while he was suspended again you know i always get annoyed with this kind of thing but he was still receiving his salary oh and <laughs> but after ye and those others that i mentioned were all suspended sort of that same year uh, legislators put together uh, proposition 50 Okay. which would suspend pay for suspended state legislatures. And they Good. put that on the ballot and it passed Good. Uh, with 75% of the vote. So now if someone is suspended, they do not get that pay and, you know, they got to, um, you know, figure things out, which good. I thought was a good thing. Yes. Um, and then... Um, He's putting the public in danger. We should yes. be paying him too. Yes. And he was running for that secretary of state position. He did <sighs> leave that race. Okay. He didn't resign the Senate's seat but he did at least uh, step out of that particular okay, race good and then um going back to that idea of uh campaign reform i said the facts that are disappointing and just all too familiar are things you know like voting against for example um he voted against banning uh plastic bags 
And then he received money from a company that makes plastic bags. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's like that kind of, that's why we need campaign finance reform. You know, Citizens United, these other things. Like all of this is ruining our politics. Mm -hmm. Grassroots. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there, I have two, there's two sides to that. I really do believe that it shouldn't be so expensive for someone to run for office. It's difficult if you're a first time candidate to ask right. for money, but it is a necessary part of running right. for office. But it shouldn't be so expensive where there are a lot of people that look at how much uh, people have raised in a certain race and are like, oh, that person's not viable. This person's not viable. Right. And it's based on just how much money they've raised. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's terrible. And sometimes that money might not be coming from a great place. You and know? there are so many amazing people. Yeah. It really should be a fair shot. Yeah. Everyone should have a fair shot to run. So it should you don't be have... a little more level of a playing field. Yeah. But when you have as a Citizens United, mm -hmm. you, you you can't play fair. Right. When there's millions of dollars funneling in. Right. It's, well, you have to be a pretty dynamic candidate. And, and, you, and you'd have to be able to raise money that way by being able to talk about yourself and the thing right. and be passionate. I mean, it really... It, it, it is being being able to bring yourself to the top based on, on your ideas and how you can sell yourself because right. it is selling your brand almost right. to do that it. That part's fine. It's just the fact that there are some people who could be amazing that hesitate yeah, because they're like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. There's no way I can compete with ginormous signs and 5,000 radio ads. Right. You know, I know, I know so. it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a very bizarre part of running for office. I yeah. get it. I mean, I understand both sides. I understand that, you know, to, to have money means people are behind you and who, why are you running for office unless somebody, some part right. of the community is behind you and wants you to run? Right. You, if you if you can't raise money or you can't, that's saying to me that right. you want to run because you want to run. Well, but there's the got to be people yeah. behind you. The grassroots is great. Right. You know, I'm talking about like these big, like a Citizens United type of thing. I, hear like, you. I just yeah. don't think that that should exist. Yes. I so mean, <laughs> I, um, I agree. My opinion. Yes. Sorry if you don't like it, world. Yeah. Um, and then one of my other favorites, and this is my last one, is that his nickname was Senator Sunshine. Oh, please. Because of his transparency and his ah. open government. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yes. I'm like, what in the, the world? Oh, my God. So, and that's the story of former Senator Leland Yee's one small step toward gun control advocacy and one giant leap into a gun trafficking ring. Oh, my God, Tina. Let me tell you, people. This is the line she told me last night. Wait till you hear my line. I was That's so good. Excited. It's so good. It's a good line. It's so nerdy. No. It made me so happy. <laughs> well, good. Oh, my God. So that's that's the story. Fantastic. I love Leland it. Yee. So good. Okay, so my story this week is the assassination of James A. Garfield, President Garfield. Oh my God. I know. Whoa. And I'm very excited. And let me tell you how I came about to do this story. My daughter um, was at school. For school, she has to do a report on a president that all the kids in the class have. They have to do right. a report on a president that nobody, that's never talked about. Like, so not Kennedy, not right. Washington, not do somebody that's yeah. in, uh, obscure or whatever. So she's telling me about Gar. I picked Garfield. I'm like, oh, cool, right? So she's telling me about Garfield, and she's like, and you know, he was assassinated. And I said, no, no, honey, only two presidents. No, have no. Been assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Lincoln and Kennedy. That's it. She's like, mom, and I'm like, what? And I look it up. I'm like, what an asshole. Like, no idea. Wasn't there's wasn't, four? There's four. McKinley, yes. So wasn't Garfield also the one that uh, got stuck in the tub? 
Oh, I don't know. Isn't he the one I don't he have was, any... Isn't he the one that he was like so heavy? No, I don't think so because I would have. I probably would have read that. I, I don't oh, know. Oh, I thought it was Garfield. Girl, look it up right now because I'm I don't. Yeah, or maybe it, <laughs> maybe it's. I didn't read any. I didn't think. Or is it Cleveland? Grover Cleveland, maybe that sounds more familiar. Mm. They had to like get him out. They had to change the. It's Taft. Oh, yes. thank God. Okay. Because yeah, because he, like, he was three hundred fifty pounds and he got stuck in the 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 tub in the in the White House. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine oh that? God. I mean, the history of the presidency, <laughs> as much as we want to be like, it's so fantastic. It's just come to an all time low. Like we're stick, we're getting stuck in tubs. I mean, listen, it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> he had a healthy appetite. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah. So thank you to my daughter for, uh, for bringing this to my attention <laughs> her dumb mother. Okay. No. It won't be the last time, you know, soon it's going to be like technology that I don't know what's oh, going God. on and she's going to be helping me with everything. So, all right, let's talk. Let's start with talking about uh, James Garfield. So Garfield was born on November 19th, 1831 in Orange, Ohio. His father died before he turned two. So his mother was left to raise James and four of his siblings all by herself. So they were very poor. And his mother, though, education was like her number one thing. She stressed it to the kids. And he was the youngest. He loved to read books, especially adventure novels and like nautical themed, you know. So he dreamed of growing up and becoming a sailor. Like he wanted to go see the world. That's cool. Yeah. That's a good ambition. Yeah. So at 16, he left home to pursue that dream. But he was turned down by like every ship. Oh, no. (laughs) To take people. So he ended up working on like a towing barge, like up and down like the river. And he was like, this is bullshit, right? So he leaves. I feel like that's very Mark Twain, like being on the steamboat. (laughs) yes yeah yeah he was bored right so he left and he went home and went back to school so he attended giagu wait that was not right giuga giuga academy in ohio from 1848 to 1850 he was graduated when he was 19 and he also met his future wife there lucretia which i'm going to show you a picture of them later and you're going to die it's the creepiest fucking picture i've ever seen in my <laughs> life so he graduated um, from the academy and he attended western reserve eclectic institute um in ohio and it's it was a small uh, like college and while he was there he worked as a janitor and a part-time teacher while he was still a student and he was helping um teach uh, so he's very smart right and then in 1851, he transferred to Williams College in Massachusetts, and he graduated um, the salutatorian there in 1856. Uh, and then he returned to Ohio. So when he returned to Ohio, he's now this like man of distinction, right? Because okay. he has this degree from an Eastern, you know, Eastern yeah. United, United States school. And um, so he returned to the Western Reserve Eclectic Institute where he had first gone to college to teach. And in 1857, at age 26, he was made president of that school. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But I think it's because he had this degree, you know, yeah. and, well, yeah, and he's he kind of elevated. Smart. Very and, smart. Yeah. Yes. So he liked teaching, but he didn't see it as like what he was going to do. It didn't, not to his full potential. You know, he wanted to do something else and and broaden his horizons. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, but when he was in Massachusetts, he was around people with from different backgrounds and different uh families and he became very politically aware while he was there and it was a very like intensely intense um intense anti-slavery atmosphere when he was there so you know it kind of just opened his worldview a lot um in 1858 he married lucretia hold on i gotta show you this picture because it's so good okay now let me say something it's like a picture you'd see at Haunted Mansion. Are you okay? serious? I can't wait they to see They are so this. spooky. Oh, my God. He looks 
Let's stare at her eyes for two seconds. Don't you want to? Aren't you Ooh, creeped out? She has the eyes where it looks like if you turn. Yes, they I forget what that's you. called. Yeah, that um, there's an art an art form Ugh. where you can make that happen. I don't remember what it's called. I'm sorry, world, but that's what it looks like. And he looks like dirty. I don't know if he was like. Uh, it's just a weird I mean, picture. Yeah, he looks stern and somber, <laughs> but. He married a ghost, almost, basically. Yeah, that's they, what he's upset about. I married I a ghost. I think the thing that's weird is that she is sort of illuminated. Yes. In this picture. Like, she's just light. Maybe they do something with their makeup when they take these pictures? I don't, I don't know. know. It's very bizarre. Oh, God, honey. No. Okay. So, soon after the, the wedding. Wednesday Adams. Yeah. <laughs> she looks, like, all grown up. Yeah. So, um, so, they got married and they had five children. And then soon after the wedding, he formally entered his name to read law. So, in 1859, that's what they would do then. It wasn't like you'd go to law school. You studied right. under an, a current attorney, someone who was an active attorney. Right. So, that's what he did. He started to study law at a Cleveland firm in Ohio. But he would also go back to where the family was in, in um, Hiram, Ohio. And then he was admitted to the bar um, in 1861 to, to be able to practice law. Um, but the local Republican party leaders really liked him. You know, he was this shining star in their area because he's this very well-known teacher and now he's studying law. Yeah. Like everybody knows who he is. He's very smart. And he was invited to enter politics, um, upon the death of, uh, Cyrus Prentice, who was a local house representative. So, um, he became the nominee for the party at the party convention on the sixth ballot and was elected to serving in the 18 in, in, until 1861. He was in the house. Oh, so, good. The way that I don't know if you know, so I'm sure that you do, but the way that they would nominate anybody for the House or the Senate or for the presidency is you'd go to the Republican convention and then they would put names in a ballot until they got a, a majority person right. voted for. And so that's what happened when he went in. Right. Yeah. OK. So during that same election in 1861, when Garfield was elected to the house abraham lincoln was also elected the 16th president of the united states right so upon his election several southern states announced their succession from the united states and here we go time to go to war right civil right. war is about is going down so the ohio governor at the time william dennison um requested that garfield deferred his military ambitions because mostly everybody all the men were going to war right right, right. and so the governor asked him to defer them and remain uh, in the legislature to help appropriate funds for the war and raise for equipment and everything else that they needed and so after the legislature adjourned uh garfield spent the summer and early spring on a speaking tour of northeast ohio in court ugh, encouraging enlistment in the new regiments so he was going around trying to get recruit, young men yeah. to go and to fight for the northern side of of uh, the civil war so he went to illinois and purchased muskets and then when garfield returned to ohio in august of 1861 he received a commission as a colonel in the 42nd ohio infantry regiment so wow. he now is going to be going to war leading these this this regiment and his first task was to fill its ranks and so he went around to his students and his neighbors and like got them to come with him and then in December, Garfield was ordered to bring the 42nd to Kentucky, where they joined the army of the Ohio under Brig Brigadier General Don Carlos Buell. So I'm going to show you a picture of him as a general. I mean, as a... Um, I feel like just based on that first picture that he would look like a, a capable general. Yeah. Look at him. Yeah. That's a great picture, right? That's the picture I feel like I'm... You know him from. Yeah. He's got the lightest blue eyes. And if he wasn't wearing this, he'd look like a total hipster from today. Yeah. 
It's I true. even see a hipster wearing that coat today. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm not going to get into the battles. There's all kinds oh of my you know, God. back and forth. That, you know. we'll, we'd be here a long time. Yes. Yeah. So he earned That's the title my, of... My husband does. He, he could tell you everything about the Civil War <laughs> top to bottom. Yeah. He knows every battle. It's amazing. We have... Um, several books of maps of the war like it, oh my god yes. sean my husband and, and your husband should talk yeah they would my husband's got some damn book in there about it <laughs> but his his family's from the south so we got a total, uh, totally different well, story well, going on yeah, there'll be a different, <laughs> different perspectives maybe yes so anyway here in the title he ended up uh, uh in the in the army as uh, a general so he was pretty high up yes um so while serving in the army in 1862 uh, Garfield was approached by his friends to run for Congress for Ohio's newly redrawn, heavily Republican 19th district. Let me say something about this guy, because it's like every time he earns a position, it's because somebody else wants to give it to him. He's never the one going out there going, hmm, right. I want to be in this seat and I want to run right. for this. And he, that never happens. It's always like people come around him and it's like, you should be this person right. or you should be. And they That's all like put his name with, in. With Washington, too. And, yes. Yes. Know, like they recognized the a ability leader. and a leader right yeah and today it's i mean i guess we, people build benches but it's it's different yes it's more of shaping someone from the beginning rather i don't know yes it's just different the every and every single seat that this guy had it's because somebody else said he should run for it yeah he never it's almost like he was just walking around like hey yo yeah <laughs> come over here <laughs> go sit in the seat for a minute you know what i mean yeah but that's great that yes. means you know yeah that he's probably capable and people recognize something mm -hmm. good in him i mean to be for that to happen to you to be president is pretty crazy too yeah. right yeah so he was worried that he and other state appointed generals would get obscure assignments like he didn't want to stay in the army because he thought he'd be sent all over the place and he didn't want that so he was like okay I'll run for Congress. And it, and he could, of course, resume his career as a politician. So the, the fact that the new Congress would not hold its first session until December 1863, it allowed him to continue his wartime service, and then he could come back and, and start Congress, right? Um, but while he was home on medical leave from the Army before he went to Congress, he refused to campaign for the nomination, leaving it to political managers who secured the, at the local convention, they secured his nomination. Again, oh, I love he's that. not going, he, yeah, he, he's like, he's not eh, a schmoozer. Yeah. You yeah. go take care of it. You wanted yeah. me to run, you go get my nomination. I'm yeah. not going to go do this. <laughs> it's Imagine crazy. that. It's so crazy. So in October, he defeated D.B. Woods by a two to one margin in the general election mm. for a seat in the 38th Congress. Cool. So... While in D.C., Garfield befriended Treasury Secretary Salmon uh, P. Chase, and the two men agreed politically and both were part of the radical wing of the Republican Party. So the radical, so, you know, Lincoln's the president, he's a, he's a right. Republican, and Republicans wanted to abolish slavery. I mean, they're all about all this. But the radical side of the Republican Party was like, fuck the South. Right. Get those guys who were these re rebel leaders execute them you burn know down their guess houses what? guess what we're fucking done with the south fuck you you guess, screwed up guess and now what? you're done guess what yeah if <laughs> if after this civil war they would have prosecuted treason mm -hmm. and really made an example and not allowed for the the rebel flag and all of that things may have been a little bit different okay so you you would have been part of that radical I side 100 yeah, yeah. Well, you don't secede you want to secede by yeah 
Well, hello. Right. That's what the that's what this guy's talking about. So that's how Garfield was. He was yeah. like, "Fuck them. Let's go, Garfield. Yeah, <laughs> Team Garfield, right yeah. here. Can I get a T-shirt? I'm Team Garfield too because I love lasagna. Number one, <laughs> <laughs> and I want a dog named Odie. Okay, so um, and you don't like Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Mondays. So. Okay, so once he took the house, uh, took his seat in the House of Representatives in December of 1863, Garfield was frustrated that Lincoln seemed reluct- reluctant to press the South hard. Now, of course, this is a president who's got to rise above it all and be like, I know right. everybody's mad, but we won that shit. Let's keep ourselves together and act like gentlemen and pull it together. And we've got to, you know, he's trying to unite this country. He's right. the president. So he's got to kind of rise above it all and pull everybody together and now he's got these yahoos over here screaming yeah, about burn it down we're, we're moving it but we're trying to move in the reconstruction <laughs> yeah but it was a mess still it was a mess yes so uh many radicals led in the house by pennsylvania Thaddeus stevens wanted rebel owned lands confiscated but lincoln threatened to veto any bill that would do that on a widespread basis so anything that they did he wasn't gonna allow he wasn't gonna sign it i mean i get that you want to try to make things smooth mm-hmm and not ruffle feathers any further, but I kind of, I'm yeah. leaning. I hear you. I'm leaning with I the hear others you. a little bit. <laughs> so Garfield, um, in debate on the House floor, supported all this legislation and hinted that Lincoln might be thrown out of office if he started, if he kept resisting these bills, right? So he's like right out the gate, Good. you know, get well, this guy I mean, out of here. at least he stands for what he believes in. Yeah. So, um... Although Garfield had supported Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, the congressman marveled that it was, quote, a strange phenomenon in the world's history when a second-rate Illinois lawyer is the instrument to utter words which which shall form an epic memorable in all future ages. So he knows this Emancipation Proclamation is going to be famous forever. And now he's got this fucking guy's the one doing it, right? He's like, oh, yeah, Lincoln's the one who's now going to be quoted forever with with these words. There he is. Right? So he's not a fan. He's not a fan of Lincoln. I mean... There were things about Lincoln that I love that I love that he kept like all of his notes in his top hat. Like, do you know that? Like, <laughs> like that's where he kept it and he'd forget that he, you know, where would he find it? Oh, yeah, I forgot I put it somewhere in there. He was sort of like this absent-minded professor yeah, yeah. kind of guy. So I, I like that kind of tidbit, like mm-hmm. that, that's, you know, quirkiness yeah. about him. So um, Garfield not only favored um, abolition of slavery, but believed that the leaders of the rebellion had forfeited their constitutional rights. Like this is what yes, they were fighting, right? they did. Yes, he supported the confiscation of Southern plantations and even exile or execution of rebellion leaders as a, as a means to ensure the permanent destruction of slavery. Yes. 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 <laughs> Garfield felt a Congress was obliged to, quote, Determine what legislation is necessary to secure equal justice to all loyal persons without regard to color. So, you know, he's fighting on the right side. Correct. Okay. Um, So in 1865, Garfield did not consider Lincoln particularly worthy of reelection, but no viable alternative seemed available. So, you know, we're going to continue to fight. We're going to, we want Lincoln. We want Republican in the office. So we'll go with Lincoln again. Right. So Garfield attended the party convention and promoted General William Rosecrans as Lincoln's running mate. But delegates chose military governor of Tennessee, Andrew Johnson, to be the new vice president. Um, and Lincoln and Garfield were both reelected in 1865. So they're both going back, one to the White House, right? One to the House of Representatives. Um, and Garfield continued to practice law uh, to, for, to, you know, to make money. And then on April 14th, 1865, President Lincoln was assassinated. Yes. So after his death, Garfield, of course, had a lot of praise for Lincoln. Wow. Well. <laughs> 
<laughs> He's got to go I down. Got to go down those history books yeah. as a fan. He didn't hate the guy. Yeah. I mean, they probably, you know, he just was uh, strong in his beliefs, and it right. didn't line up. Right. With Lincoln, he's not going down the history books as somebody who's no. like not on the side, right. the right yes. side of history. Right, got to make sure that yes, he's there. So he said one of the quotes about him. He said one of the few great rulers whose wisdom increased with his power. That's oh, what he said wow. about Lincoln. Well, it yeah. kind of goes against that Emancipation Proclamation quote <laughs> yeah. from earlier. But um, okay, so let's talk about Reconstruction, right? So now oh, we have dear. this. We've got to we got to put the South back together and become united as a country right so garfield was a firm supporter of black suffrage as he had been of abolition though he admitted that the idea of african americans as political equals with whites gave him quote a strong feeling of repugnance oh, so you know he's not that great of a guy God. he's not that great of a guy uh <sighs> they should be free but you know don't they shouldn't be you know sitting next to me anywhere or like you know like, yeah. <laughs> so um Link- lincoln had similar sentiments like when you look at certain things that 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 he said because mm-hmm. he's all he's always known for the emancipation proclamation right but when you kind of dig and, and read some of the history um there was that ideology yeah it's still they weren't still all the way there yeah for sure they no. were not even lincoln so the new president johnson sought the rapid restoration of the southern states during the months between the accession and the meeting of Congress in December 1865. Garfield hesitantly supported this policy as an experiment. So now he's starting to come over on the side of, like, not burning it down, right? Like, he's well, starting to come over of, like, okay, let's try to help rebuild the South, you know? I mean, the, the president's been assassinated. Things are probably a, a bit tumultuous. Yeah. So. so since Johnson and Garfield were friends, like, they knew each other from the war, they met and talked about it, and it led Garfield to believe that maybe – we're not all so far apart on how we feel about the South, you know, like they did want it to, he did, he came around, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and I, maybe, maybe it's because Lincoln was now gone. Right. right? And he was like, listen, the whole country's going to burn and fall apart if we don't right. start pulling this together. Right. right. People are, the president was killed. You know what I mean? Right. And he was a beloved president. Yes. Um, I think of that. There's a poem by Walt Whitman called, um, when lilacs last in the dooryard bloomed. That's all about, um, Lincoln's funeral procession. It's a beautiful poem. Mm. Um, and, you know, this, it was a huge thing. It was like, you know, it's a, it's a president that, that at the time did abolish, mm-hmm. you know, the slavery that, that coming out of the Civil War. So I can imagine that they probably want to restore some peace in the minds right. of, of right. the people. Right. So, yeah, and you got to you have to compromise a little bit. You know, you got to come to the come to the table. I mean, I know we don't do that anymore, but there was a time when we did actually do that right. and try to hear each other Reach out across the aisle. Yeah. yeah. So um, the conflict between the branches of government was the major issue of the 1866 campaign with Johnson taking to the campaign trail and Garfield facing opposition within his party and in his home district. So even you know the, the radical part of the party, he was it was he was starting to see that they weren't liking that he was going along with all of this, you know. Um, and with the South still disenfranchised, another and Northern public opinion behind the Republicans, they gained a two-thirds majority in both houses in both houses of Congress. So they're still okay, the Republicans at this point. Um, Garfield had overcome his challengers at his district nominating nominating convention, and he was easily elect, reelected to the House. Um, and Garfield opposed the initial talk of impeaching President Johnson because now. Um, Congress is not happy with Johnson and the way that he's conducting himself there with the South. And so they want to throw him out. And he was trying to get them to stop. Right. Garfield was trying to get them to stop doing it. But um, 
they, he, he was supporting legislation that, that limited Johnson's powers when he was the president. Okay. Which, and then like really stopped him from appointing people, presidential appointees, right? Oh God, I know. if only today we could have <laughs> had something similar. I'm I just know. thinking of all the judges across this country. I know. It's a mess. Oh dear. So due to a court case, he was absent on the day in April 6, 1868 when the White uh, when the House impeached Johnson, but soon gave a speech aligning himself with Thaddeus Stevens and others who sought Johnson's removal. So he's flip-flopping all over mm. the place, you know? And I think it's, uh, you know, it's like what we talk about power is like wanting to stay in office and doing what it takes to do it. And so he sees that he's outnumbered when it comes to where right. Johnson should be. And he wasn't there to vote him out, but he did align with the people who wanted him out. Mm. Um, but the president was acquitted. In a trial in the Senate. Oh, God. It's history <laughs> repeating. Rebellion. I know. It's history repeating. Garfield was shocked and blamed the outcome yeah. of the trial on the presiding officer, Chief Justice I mean, Justice I wonder if Chase. they allowed witnesses mm. or other things that, you know, a normal trial would require. I don't know. I don't then. know anything about the, that witnesses mm. in the trial. That doesn't make any sense yeah, to me. Just, I guess. I mean. <laughs> so by the time Ulysses S. Grant succeeded Johnson in 1869, Garfield had moved away from the remaining radicals. So now he's just a regular old middle-of-the-road Republican, right? Um, he hailed the ratification of the 15th Amendment, which gave all men the right to vote regardless of the color of their skin, in 1870 as a triumph, and he favored the readmission of Georgia to the Union as a matter of right and not politics. Okay, here we go. So it was suggested to Garfield that he run for governor in 1879, seeing that as a road to that would most likely put him right. in the White House. But Garfield preferred to seek election as a U.S. senator. So he's a House rep. He wants okay. to now become he a senator. He wants to stay mm -hmm. in um, the, the national he, Yes. Spotlight. Arena. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So rivals were spoken of for that seat. The federal. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so rivals were spoken of for that seat, such as the Secretary of State John Sherman. But um, Sh Sherman also had presidential ambitions, and he knew he needed Garfield's support. So he stepped away from that seat so that Garfield could run for it. And in January 1880, though his term was not scheduled, uh, so he was elected to the Senate in okay. January 1880, and his term was not scheduled to commence until March 4th, 1881, so a few months later, or so, I'm sorry, the following year. Um, but he would never sit as a U.S. Senator because um, when he went to the presidential convention for the 1880 presidential convention, things changed there, right, for him. So... Having just been elected to the Senate, Garfield entered the 1880 campaign season committed to supporting Sherman. That's Secretary oh, of State Sherman. Yeah. who was like, hey, you run for this. You come support me. And he was like, cool, bro. So he did that. He goes to the convention. He's going to go. You know, when you go to these conventions, you have all these different people are going to be nominated in all their different camps. Right, right? right. And they all start getting up and giving speeches about why their guy is so great. And so he gets up and he starts talking about Sherman and how great Sherman is. But the party is so fractured that um, some people actually really liked Garfield. And they were like in the back of their heads like, mm, we really would like Garfield to it's, be this person, right? Oh, no. Yeah, although he had no interest in being uh, a nominee. He did not want to. He had no interest. No, he's of just course, showing, again. Yeah, he just won an election. Yes. He's like, I'm going to come help you out. Yes. Oh, dear. So besides Sherman, the, uh, the other favorites for the nomination were um, Secretary Blaine and then former President Ulysses S. Grant. They're going to put right. him back in there, right? So during this period, the Republican Party was split into two factions, the stalwarts, who supported the existing federal government patronage system, which we'll talk about in a second, and the half-breeds, who supported civil service reform. Okay. okay. So the patronage system is what we talked about in episode six with Alderman Burke, 
uh, oh, yeah. for with Chicago, where it's rewarding contracts or work like jobs to individuals based on their support for a candidate and not their merit. Okay. Oh gosh. So, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Gar, Gar what's his name? Garfield. <laughs> So Garfield mm. was a, he was not a stalwart. He didn't have, want to give people jobs. He wasn't interested right. in doing that. He's like, go fuck he yourself. He just does like, his thing. Yeah, I don't want anything yeah. to do with that. So as He's not a schmoozer. No, so, no. Or yeah, giving like somebody said, a job for nothing. Yeah, He's like, no. no, I don't think so. So as the convention began, Senator Roscoe Conkling of New York, the floor leader of the stalwarts, um, proposed that the delegates pledge to support the eventual nominee in the general election. So it's just and like do today. They just, do they just randomly <laughs> say, you know what, forget these other guys. Let's throw Garfield's name. Yes. And are you serious? Yes. And he's standing there like, wait, what? Yes. I just got nominated for presidency. Yeah. So here, but yeah. So Garf, so, so, so oh what, what, what Roscoe is saying, Roscoe Conkling is saying is like what we say today, like whoever is the nominee, that's who you vote for. And all the, and so people like, got uh, all up in arms about it these three west virginia delegates declined to do so they're like fuck you we like our guy yeah just because you all like somebody else doesn't mean we have to vote for that person right and so conkling was like i'm gonna you're gonna get thrown out of here well garfield got up and he gave this speech defending these west virginia delegates he's like listen you know these guys they gave this really passionate speech like they they can have their own opinion on who they want to support but it was this really long and like great speech and where everybody all of a sudden it was like a light shining on garfield where everybody's like ah, right like oh my god yeah. who's this guy right all right so, oh, so no. the crowd turned against conkling and he withdrew that motion so for the people in the room who already wanted garfield to be the nominee they're, like, they're already like it. now now they start going around to everybody and they're like see this should be the guy this should be the guy da, 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 da. But, but what about the guy that he that garfield's there to support that day does he have no idea like is this like well Okay, so after the speeches oh, no. in favor of the other front runners, Garfield rose to place Sherman's name in nomination. That's what he's there to do. Oh, dear. But his nominating speech again was so well received that the delegates mustered little excitement for the idea of Sherman as the next president because he was so good for voting somebody else. <laughs> they liked him instead. It's like he's just oh, like he's just charismatic. Yeah, he he's, just rises all yeah. the way to the top from just just sitting up, standing up and talking. Right. Oh. So the first ballot showed Grant was leading with 304 votes and Blaine was in second with 284 and Sherman had 93 votes. So which placed him in, yeah. you know, bottom third. Um, subsequent ballots quickly demonstrated a deadlock between the Grant and Blaine forces with neither having 379 votes needed for the nomination. And then, um, uh, okay, then Jeremiah McLean Rusk, a member of the Wisconsin delegation, and Benjamin Harrison, an Indiana delegate, sought to break the deadlock by shifting a few of the anti-Grant votes to a dark horse candidate. Gar oh, James Garfield. God. Yeah. So Garfield gained 50 votes on the 35th ballot. This is how many wow. times they voted, right, to get uh, to that number. Yeah. And then the stampede began, right? Garfield protested to the other members of his Ohio delegation that he had not sought the nomination, had never intended to betray Sherman. Aww. But they overruled his objections and cast no. their ballots for him anyway. He's like, motherfucker, I don't <laughs> want this job. He's like, no, I don't want this job, right? Oh, no. I know. So in the next round of voting, nearly all the Sherman and Blaine delegates it shifted their support to Garfield, giving him 399 votes and the Republican nomination. Wow. Yeah. So to obtain that this, must have been something to see. Can you imagine yeah. that room like that yeah. going back and forth? It's kind of exciting to yeah. think about it. I know we still do a convention today, but it's not the no. same thing. We, we the delegates do the voting, but it's kind of we're already at an understanding of who that nominee is going to be when we get there. This is a really fun, like right. on the floor 
It's insane. And it's I so can't, cool. And you know, and we talk about this all the time. This about like it's so and so's turn. Yes. And I hate that. It's I know. just best person. I know. I know. I hear you. Like get out of you. Like you're bringing everything down. I know. It would mm. be cool though to have this kind of floor yeah, debate and that you never would be know. More it's so fun. exciting. Yeah. yeah. That to me is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obtain this to obtain the stalwart minority faction support for the ticket, former New York customs collector Chester A. Arthur, a member of Conkling's political machine, was chosen as the vice president nominee. Right. So we're trying and to he, pull Yeah, later yeah. then president. Okay, so now I want to show you the campaign poster, which oh, I thought I was really wait. cool. Yeah, for these two. That's so, I love it. It looks great, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love that beard too. Okay, so despite a stalwart on the ticket, um, animosity between the Republican factions carried over from the convention and Garfield traveled to New York to meet with party leaders there. So he's still trying to like convince these people that everything's going to be fine. Like, Meanwhile, uh, the Democrats settled on their nominee, which who was Major General Winfield Scott Hancock of Pennsylvania. So he was a career military officer in that too. Um they expected to carry the South, the Democrats, um, while much of the North was considered safe territory for Garfield and the Republicans. So to campaign, Garfield did what I consider the laziest fucking thing ever, because this is just how I feel about this guy. I mean, I know he's a military vet, right. like I get it, everything, but like he does, he's the laziest politician like I've ever met in my life. He conducted what they called a, quote, front porch campaign. So he went home to Ohio and he'd come out on his back porch and a crowd would gather. Wait. But only in Ohio? Start, yeah. <laughs> he'd stand there and he'd start giving speeches. And that was uh, his campaigning. That's all that he fucking did. It's just he'd come outside once a day and he'd give a speech. And people, the press was there and people would right. gather around from, they'd come to his house to hear him. But like, that's what he did. How, because Imagine like, just come crazy. to my house yeah. today. That's all he did. Like, you know, like, you know. But he wasn't random, fighting for this. A, a random presidential okay let's just go to the, yeah. the a presidential candidate's house and sit outside <laughs> so wait for them stupid. to come out it's so stupid it's wild right yeah, today there would be like such like a military or, or presence protecting yes. whoever these yes. people are you yeah. couldn't do that yeah so uh practical differences between the candidates were few the republicans began the campaign with the familiar theme of waving the what they called the bloody shirt which is reminding northern voters that the democratic party was responsible for succession and um four years of civil war and that if democrats held power they would one reverse the gains of that war two dishonor union veterans and three pay confederate veterans pensions out of the federal treasury so even though this was 15 years since the end of the war the union generals were still um at the head and there were two union generals at the right. head of the tickets democrats and republicans both had union generals at the top of their ticket <laughs> they were still like waving this what they called the bloody shirt to remind people of like we weren't the ones that were in charge of the war we didn't have anything to do with this but it wasn't really working anymore because it's been now 15 years give me a break it's just like oh they voted for a war in iraq like all right we're over yeah. we're, we're out of this now okay so um it didn't really work and so they switched their tactics to emphasize um tariffs and the, that's what kind of did it the democratic nominee um had a tariff for revenue only or something and it, it just it it's really what pushed pushed all the votes to garfield okay. and so um Garfield had an easy victory over Hancock, 214 to 155. Mm. Yes. So here he is as president. I'm going to show you his official um, portrait. He looks really awesome in this painting. Oh, very, very nice. distinguished. Yes. The light shining yes. on that, that head. Yeah. That little bald spot on the top. That. that dome. It looks good, though. Uh, it's very regal. Yes. He looks handsome. 
So on July 2nd, 1881, um, six months after being in office, Garfield was shot by Charles J. Gateau, a disgruntled office seeker at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station Mm. in Washington, D.C. Gateau had followed various professions in his life, but in 1880 had determined to gain federal office by supporting what he expected to be the winning Republican ticket. Okay, so he's a part of that patronage, Yeah, so he's like sour grapes. Yes. So he could come at the convention. He had composed a speech and he got it printed by the Republican National Committee. But um, that was one way that you would do it. At the other convention, you'd get up and give a speech about why somebody was such a great nominee. And, you know, he thought that if he did this, Gateau thought if he did this, that he would get a job. You know, oh. that if he was oh. a supporter, he'd be part of that patronage system. But remember, Garfield doesn't give right. a fuck about that. Like, right. He doesn't care about the patronage system. So now he feels like he lost out on something. Yeah. And so um, Godot had considered himself a stalwart, which, of course, the vice president, Arthur, was a stalwart, right? And he thought his con- contribution to their victory would um, be sufficient to justify the position of a council in Paris, despite the fact that he spoke no English nor any other foreign language. Like, this is a job he wanted, to be assigned as a consul in Paris, right? <laughs> it's like this little yeah, happen. He just wants guy. a trip to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he had been described uh, by one medical ex- expert as possibly being a narcissistic, narcissistic schizophrenic. Um, so... When he gets shot, I'm trying to remember because my son um, really is into the presidents and he has this book that he, it's like an encyclopedia he reads a million times. Mm -hmm. And was he brought back home? Yes. Yeah. He's brought to a home. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's when it becomes a nightmare. And it's like in all the people surrounding him. That's the the picture that I remember. Yes. So, um... So so anyway, he's coming now to the White House, Gateau. This is before the shooting, of course. He was coming to get a job. And um, one of President Garfield's least favorite duties was see- seeing office seekers, right? And he didn't want... He saw Gateau at least once, but he told him to... White House officials suggested to Gateau that he approach the Department of State, which was in charge of the consulships. You know, like, go talk to them. We're not going to be able right. to help you. He's got other things to do. Yes, and he didn't want to sit there and talk to people yeah. looking for work. Like, because of... supporting you as a candidate that doesn't give you a job right you have no no business coming here so Gateau did approach the state department but they blew him off because he wasn't qualified for the job he doesn't speak the language yeah and you can't just get it because you gave a speech yeah you know i mean people are something else i know well he's he's got a mental mental health problem here so Gateau did um okay so he came to believe he so Gateau started to convince himself that he lost his position because he was a stalwart and not because he was in this middle unqualified yeah no of course it's somebody else's fault so he decided that the only way to end the factions in the republican party was for garfield to die and though he had nothing personal against the president he just thought like he had convinced himself that if he dies um vice president arthur would then take his place and then and then stalwarts he'll get what he would be wants. yeah he'd go you know it'd be better for him for himself as the, and for stalwarts as part of the party so the assassination of abraham lincoln was deemed a fluke due to the civil war and garfield like most people saw no reason why the president should be guarded um garfield's mm. mu- movements and plans were often printed in the newspapers so everybody knew where he was all the time, right? Yeah. Um, Gateau knew the president would leave Washington for a cooler climate on July 2nd and made plans to kill him before then. He purchased oh. a gun he thought would look good in a museum. Oh, my God. So he's, I mean, this is... Yeah, planned. Very planned, but even the future of this thought out that, yes. that this is going to be... Yeah, I'll be famous for this forever. Forever. Yeah. 
Um, he followed Garfield several times, but each time his plans were, you know, something went wrong where he couldn't do it or he lost his nerve. Um, his opportunities were starting to dwindle down to this one point where Garfield's departure by train for New Jersey on the morning of July 2nd, 1881. Gateau concealed himself by the ladies' waiting room at the 6th Street station of the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad from where Garfield was scheduled to depart. And most of Garfield's cabinet planned to accompany him at least part of the way. Um, so Garfield was deep in conversation with Secretary of State Blaine and did not notice Gateau before mm. he took out his revolver and shot Garfield twice, once in the back and once in his arm. Oh, and th- at that time, it was 930 in the morning and he attempted to leave the station. It was very crowded, but he was quickly captured. And as he was being led away, he said, quote, I did it. I will go to jail for it. I am a stalwart and Arthur will be president. Wow. So it was like all very clear like yeah. why he was doing this, right? Um, and of course, Blaine, the secretary of state who had talked to him about this consul position, he recognized Gateau and of course made no secret of why he knew why this had right. happened. And, um, of course, then people rose up against the stalwarts and was like, what the hell? Get your shit together. Look at what these people are doing. Like, come on, you got to come yes. over to our side now. We're done with this. It's leading to people dying. You know, the president was shot yes. because of this, right? So after 11 weeks of instant- intensive care and other, um, and intensive in other care, Garfield died in Elberon, New Jersey. It was a slow, slow and painful death due to the medical treatment of doctors. Oh gosh! Well, back then, I imagine I can't imagine. Yeah, the and, well, pain and of it, that. It's painful, but also An infection. Yes. And, oh. So this was well before doctors knew that we need to wash our hands. Yes. So they're oh, sticking good. their in, their dirty fingers into his wound. Oh goodness! Which caused more pain, but also the infection, other infections, and so that's what you know. These were all preventable deaths, yeah. but because there was no knowledge of having to even simply wash your hands, it was many people with dirty fingernails, oh, and it was disgusting. Oh. I know. There was also um, Alexander Graham Bell. They couldn't get the they couldn't get the bullet out. They couldn't find it. Oh. And so Alexander Graham Bell had this metal detector, and he yeah, was like, "I know, can I find I've, it." I, yes, I've yes. heard this. He's so, like, "I can find it." And he went there with this thing, and the only thing he was detecting was like the metal springs in the bed. Oh, and they're like, "Get the fuck God. out of here, you lunatic!" Like, get out. So he was thrown out of the room. Oh my God! But like, he never this found it. But guy. still, he was. Yeah, it was. It was a mess. So in January, I know, I know. So he died, you know, like I said, 11 weeks later. Um, In January 1882, Gateau was sentenced to death for the crime and was hanged five months later. Wow. Yes. So that is the the story of the assassination of President Garfield. Wow. And I never, I didn't know the motive. Yes. Uh, And that it was, that it was a political motive like that. Yes. That is wild. I know. I know. Can you believe it? Wild, 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 wild. I love it. Yeah, it was a good one. Yes. Especially because I had no idea there was more than two presidents that have been killed. <laughs> well, because oh we always God. just hear. And I feel like, too, with like the Lincoln Kennedy, it's the Johnson, you know, mm-hmm. the Johnson and then Johnson and, and all the conspiracy, you know, they yes. always make those connections yes. and yeah. comparisons between the two. And I know, right? Yeah. So, oh my gosh. It's wild. That's yeah. a good story. It's really awesome. Yeah. So um, we're going to Podfest coming up yes. in a few in uh, the beginning of March. I'm so excited I'm about this. Beyond beyond excited, it's going to be a really really great opportunity. Uh, do you think that we should do like a short little podcast like from our hotel room, like yes. just say, "Hey, yo, what's up?" We could put it up. I mean, it's like what could stop us from doing yeah, that? Right? Let's do it. Yeah. Like maybe just a uh, hey, yeah, this is what we're doing today, or hey, yeah, you know who we met. This is the yeah. podcast. The people we met with these podcasts and. 
It'll be fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's I would be love to do full that. of podcast nerds. Yes. Yay. It's going to be amazing. And I we're know. staying at a great place and it's going to be fun. And there's karaoke. Uh, I mean, that's all so, I need. There you go. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited. Me too. So are you excited? Anything new this week that you're excited about? Not really. Um, I've been watching a show and I can't remember if I mentioned it on the last time we <laughs> talked or not. The Outsider. No. It's um it's on HBO. Okay. And it's got one of my favorite actors, uh, Jason Bateman. <sighs> Love Jason Bateman. He's so good in it. And I've mm-hmm. only seen the first couple. I'm, I'm like two episodes behind. But it's a Stephen, it's based off of Stephen King. Okay. So it's got like this weird, it's about a guy who, I mean, the premise is sort of told, so I'm not like spoiling anything, mm-hmm. but it's about a guy accused of committing a murder. Ooh. He's sort of a pillar of a community guy, like really involved with different activities. And he is on tape, right? They catch him at like different, you know, at a bank and here, and it's almost like he's staring at the camera, like, you know, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also on tape in a completely different state at the exact same time. What? So it's like this weird supernatural, like how can he be in two places at once? What's going on? And then there's like a weird guy that keeps kind of appearing in the background of places oh my gosh and it's creepy it's so good and he's such a good actor so the first two i mean i i was watching it with my hands up in front of my face like through my fingers because like (laughs) some of the scenes were like freaking me out but it was good so it's it's an odd sort of mystery with a supernatural kind of feel to it um my plan is to watch catch up to two of them tonight that sounds awesome yeah so I'm watching I'm rewatching the show boss it was on I think it was on like stars years ago and it stars Kelsey Grammer and he's the oh. mayor of Chicago it is so good but it's a dark seedy like political show I wanted show. to see that it's really good but I it's Kelsey really Grammer. super dark I was such a big fan of Frasier really I wasn't oh my god that show makes me laugh so much yeah I, I love it I've yeah. rewatched it a couple of times because it's on one of the streaming mm-hmm you know, and I'll just randomly sometimes put it on and it just... He's a great actor. He's so funny. Yeah. You should give it a try. You got to yeah. give it a try again. It's good. I'm not a fan of him personally. Oh, well. So that's why I think I can take him on the show because I think he's an asshole in real life, but... Eh. Yeah. He has, <laughs> so it but, makes sense. You know, he had like a really horrible um, like upbringing. Like no. his... Yeah. He... I want to say... I. I know that there was like a lot of death. I think his sister was murdered. Like oh he had my all gosh. of this bad stuff happened like in his early life. Oh no. Yeah. Um, now I feel bad. No, no. <laughs> like it was some like crazy tragedy that happened where I think he lost like many people in his family, something like that. But I know like, w- I believe it was his sister murdered, mm. but he does have like post that, like some, yeah, yeah. you know, unfortunately. Yeah. He's still but, a good actor. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Yes. separating the art oh that's from the hard artist I know. it's hard I, there's a band i really love and i'm not going to mention a name but there's a band that i really love and they put out a second album and right after that this is recently like there was a whole bunch of stuff that went down with the singer and they pulled their record company pulled all their music from streaming sites and i bought their second album and i, I had seen them play this really small bar here but their second album it took me a long time to listen to it because I really was upset about what had happened. Yeah. And then he was accused of all this like me too kind of stuff. Mm. And um, I started listening to the second album just because it randomly came on my, my iPod and or my, my phone. It's so good. 
and I'm listening. So I went from start to finish and listened to the whole album and it was so good. And I want to like scream at the top. Of- I love promoting bands that nobody yeah. knows or whatever. Yeah. And like, hey, I really love this music. And I can't. Because I'm stuck in this weird, like, yeah. this thing where I, I get it, but this music's so good well, and you, I can't, I can't support, like, I can't publicly say anything. Right. It's really, it's awful. My husband feels that way about Michael Jackson. I hear that too. So my, uh, one of my sons loved, um, Michael Jackson's music. I mean, when he was little, he would dress up sometimes yeah. and like, you know, dance around the house and he, he enjoyed it. And after um, we watched that documentary, uh, find oh I didn't watch it oh I couldn't Finding Neverland yes or, I know what you mean it was yes. on HBO and it was horrible yeah um, and my husband's like that's it we will never play the music it will never and so for a while like if we were driving in the car yeah and a song would come on he mm-hmm. would shut off the radio or change the station yeah and my son was like no I like that song and he's like we can't listen to that song and so that's that that idea of, I know it's really that it separation I know. Um, and who's like Polanski, you know, like yes, the, or, yeah, Woody or Woody Allen. I mean, like it's, it's a really it's very difficult. Like the... there was even stuff with Quentin Tarantino, and I remember, yeah. you know, people, and even when the Hateful Eight came out, that was the second to the last movie that he put right, out. Because then we're, we're, we're I went to see it, and money, I know that there was know? stuff. I know, I know. How do you do that? Yeah. How do you separate those two things? Yeah, it's hard. I know. I love Michael Jackson's music. That was our whole childhood was Michael Jackson. How am I supposed to stop listening and? But yeah, no, I won't buy it anymore. I won't buy right. it. But if it if it comes up on my iPhone, I'm not going to turn it off. I know. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I know. It's it's so difficult. It's hard. Yeah. But anyway, check out that yeah. show. Okay, I will. I think you'll like it. Because you like like kind of Oh, no, that's right weird. up my alley. Yeah. And I love him on the Ozarks, which is on yes. uh, Netflix. That's a great show. I He's, haven't great seen on the that. second season yet. We saw oh the my first gosh. one and I loved it. You have it. to. It's so good. And I need to get... It's so hard to keep up with all these shows. Oh, please forget it. Who's got time for this? I... I know. I'm doing know. a book report every week on this damn podcast. <laughs> on the podcast, we've got time to watch the shows. I know it's a fun book report, though. It is. So, <laughs> so once you start digging, you're like, oh my gosh, yes. oh my gosh, and what about this? It's it's great. It's I been know. so much fun. It's good. Yeah. All so. right. So I will see you next week for episode nine. Yes. Yay. Woo-hoo. All right. And please share, 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 share. We really, really need uh, reviews and downloads. So help us out, guys. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.